Hi, this is Mary, and welcome to my podcast, Mental State, where I dive into all things mental health and more. And today I am here with my friend Jacqueline, and we are talking about attachment styles. So Jacqueline, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about the third attachment style, the most, actually, apparently the most prevalent attachment style underneath secure is avoidance. And I believe you have a little story around. I do have a story around. I do. I do. And I'm actually surprised to hear that it is the most prevalent of the insecure attachment styles. But we'll talk about more, more on that later. So my, so I run more avoidant. So right now I definitely feel like I have a secure attachment style and, you know, my anxiety will show up sometimes, my avoidance will show up sometimes, but I ran more avoidant. So in my younger years, we will get to this attachment style. I was disorganized that ran more avoidant. And we believe that disorganized attachment is the most prevalent attachment style, but we'll get into that later. Yeah. I, you know, I heard that statistic. I'm not sure it's accurate anymore, but I like to throw it out there as a fun fact. No, I mean, I, I think it's a very fun fact. So, yeah. So we were talking, we were just kind of like talking about our relationships and I was recalling a relationship that I was in with somebody and, you know, it was, it was, it was great. You know, I, he was a handsome guy. I enjoyed spending time with him. We had a lot of things in common. But we really weren't that sexually compatible. And on some level, I was okay with it because I wasn't really emotionally into him, but I really wanted him as a companion because we did, because we had a lot of things in common. We like to go to art shows. We like to travel. We like to go see music. And he was just like a really easygoing guy to hang out with. And I just realized that I just really put him on the back burner in ter- in terms of um, emotional connection, because I know that he was way more into me emotionally than I was into him. And I just like kind of like didn't care if he called or if he didn't call. It didn't really matter to me. I was more into like if I wanted to do something, I'd call him up, we'd hang out. And now I realize because of all the work and the research that I've done on attachment styles, I was really leaning more avoidant in this relationship. Because it sounds like, you know, where the avoidance came up was in the sense of like, you felt like not really that much towards this person, that the, the, the feelings weren't there. The feelings weren't there. There wasn't any, there wasn't any real like sexual compatibility. I didn't really feel that, you know, I liked him. It was like he was good enough to hang out with, but I wasn't like excited to present him to the world as somebody that I was dating. You just didn't really care. I mean, I I cared, but I just didn't care that much. <laughs> Sorry, guy. I love that example because it makes me think about how avoidance like one of their strengths are they're good with like that surface level right and in fact they they thrive there they thrive in small talk they don't want things to go deep because the deep fires the distress right and so you keep it on the surface avoidance aren't in the distress and that's why we see in in relationship dynamics right when that that the more vulnerability that that kind of comes up might push an avoidant away right because that's where they get triggered and I love that you were talking about like the surface level, because when that kind of sexual compatibility thing came up, no pun intended, or not up, the sexual compatibility <laughs> thing, I like, I was just kind of like, 
oh, well. Like, I didn't even really want to have like a deep dive into it or, or how can we make this work or anything like that. It felt like a little bit of a relief. And I think avoidance kind of feel relief when they don't have to like take it one step further. And so for me, it was a bit of a relief. And I'm like, all right, I'm just not going to deal with that. And let's just, I mean, it wasn't like a full on friend zone because we were more than friends, but I felt like I kind of like there was a part of me that just sort of cut that off. It's like avoidance of processing the right. deeper emotions, right? Because we have to remember we are in any of the insecure styles, but right now we're talking about the avoidance. So that could be like the flight response or even the freeze response. When we're in that, those are the survival responses. And the survival responses are just there to help us survive. But there are other emotions beneath the surface. And that is threatening to an avoidant or an anxious type or a disorganized type. Well, I, and I, I mean, we oftentimes we think of flight and freeze as these like very extreme mm-hmm. kind of behaviors that need to happen. Like, oh, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm literally running away or I'm literally frozen. But it doesn't have to be that way. Like we, what we always talk about, like these things are so nuanced. So my flight response in this relationship was like, good, I can just kind of be over here and he can be over here and we can just kind of run, you know, we can just be on this parallel track with each other, but we don't really need to meet in the middle. Mm, that's such a good descriptor because oftentimes like anxious types could almost vilify the other side, the, the yin to their yang, which is usually dating an avoidant partner. And we have to understand, like, I like to call the avoidant like the lone wolf. They're there. They're really doing, they're like the island. They're doing their own thing. And that is because they have almost an overdeveloped sense of mm-hmm. internal trust for self. They pride themselves on being independent, on being alone. You know, those people, self-sufficient. Yes. You can tell them, like, ask them this question during COVID. How are you with your time alone? Those who say, oh, I don't understand why everyone was struggling. I love my time alone. They run a little more avoidant, right? Like that's a wonderful mark to ask. (laughs) Every time it's like, I know where you are. Yeah. Oh my God. That would be such a great question to ask somebody on a date. Oh, yes, Mm -hmm. you should. Yes. That's a good, good little tip out there. And, you know, the other thing that avoidance, avoidance can be highly successful in life, right? Because they, they could use work to get away from that vulnerability. And it's not like they're intentionally harming. It just, in essence, the root of it is there's no one to rely on but me. So I'm going to rely on myself. And some avoidants feel really confident and great about that. Other avoidants actually might feel less of that. It depends on where you're at and the scale and how much of that dual awareness I like to talk about, which means the experience that I'm having as well as my awareness around the experience I'm having. And so sometimes avoidance looks like I just forgot. The anxious type says, I need you to call me now or 24 hours later. The avoidant calls you within a week and they think they've done well. Well, because they're not tuning into the other person's experience of, oh, maybe somebody is waiting around for me to actually make a plan. Like, oh, whatever. It'll happen when it happens. Yeah. And I think that like that's also a great keyword is, oh, you know, like when you're going out on a date and somebody says like, yeah, so we'll talk soon. Like that is a very avoidant behavior because when they're saying we'll talk soon, they're, you're, you're probably not going to talk at all, right? They're, they're probably like, that's the last, that's the last interaction you're going to be having with that person. And so I think that like these little keywords too, like when someone's like, whatever, whatever, I'll, or I'll see you soon. 
I mean, those are some keywords to pick up when you know to know that you're dealing with somebody who's an avoidant. Or it can look like the other side of that. Another way avoidance can look is like if an avoidant can almost be like defensive and quick to shut it down. Like, you know what? I don't like that. I'm good. Peace out. Goodbye. No, not going to put up with that behavior. And they're so fine being alone. They will. It's walls versus boundaries, right? The anxious type, (laughs) no boundaries. The avoidant type, also no boundaries. They have walls, concrete walls you cannot penetrate. And it sounds like boundaries. Like they'll say like, Mm -hmm. oh, that doesn't work for me. And it sounds like boundaries. But what it is, is like you're kind of really out of stalemate. Because when somebody is like, oh, that doesn't work for, for me, where is the room for any kind of conversation, communication around that? any kind of compromise. It's like avoidance do not like to compromise. They're usually, it's my way or the highway. Yeah. And that's why when you experience the avoidant pulling away, that's that's them and their dysregulation, right? And it can feel on the anxious side of why do I have to do all the work? Well, the anxious has the guard dog, the avoidant, the lone wolf. So they're over there like, I'm just going to roam away from the pack and I'll be okay. And I think a lot of times, too, is avoidance, like in a situation. I mean, you might not, if you're on the other side of, be, of an avoidant, you may not even understand what the processing is that's going on in their brains. But really what's happening is if, let's say, Jacqueline and I are in a relationship and Jacqueline does something that annoys me, I won't even say anything about it. They're like, you know what? I'm done. Because it's like, I'm in so much, I'm feeling that distress of her inaction or action or whatever it is that's happening that I can't even have, that I can't even communicate around it. I'm just like, I push it down, I push it down. And I'm like, whatever, I'm done. This is done. So I think that's also, you know, a really good sign of avoidant behavior. Now, as you learn to like move into that earned, right? Secure attachment is earned if you have an insecure style. As you move into that, if you're dating an avoidant, I think you have to remember that the avoidant also is going to need that space in order to regulate. Like that's going to be part of their experience as they learn to navigate. Because what happens is the system, the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the I'm relaxed, is like on steroids. It's like, I'm so fine. The anxious type is over there. Oh, Total shut. It's like shut down. Yeah. The avoidant's like, everything's totally fine. There is no problem at all. Everything's at peace. They have to learn to, for, those of you out, for those of you out there who see that inner avoidant within you, what you can do is start clocking when the numbness comes up, when the ambivalence comes up, feeling, of, I always say numbness is a feeling, feeling nothing is a feeling. Everybody on a spiritual path wants to get to the state of feeling. Spiritual that, bypass. That Zen, right? Spiritual bypass. That can be an avoidant mm-hmm. tactic. When you notice yourself dropping into that, those are times to say what is actually happening within me. And I find avoidance very good at connecting to physical sensations within the body. Mm -hmm. And so start by that. I feel numb, but what am I feeling? Do I feel a feeling in my left knee or a sensation in my head? Because that starts to fire the neurons to say, oh, there is something happening here, right? Like we have to retrain the brain to become aware that there's actually distress because they're so good at pushing down the distress. And that progress can look like I'm now aware of the distress, but I might not be aware that I actually am supposed to say it. Like that can happen as you move towards security of, oh, I, I realize I'm having a feeling, but it doesn't actually occur to me to share my feeling with my partner, right? Because they didn't realize like 
oh, you could do that and get that secure attachment from someone back, that mirroring, that validation, that support. Yeah. And I think also what happens with avoidance is avoidance tend to reach for unhealthy behaviors as well. Like in terms of, you know, substance use, maybe having a couple of drinks in the, you know, after a fight because the fight didn't feel good, but I don't know how to communicate about it. So I'm just going to kind of even numb my feelings even more or binge watching something on TV. So I think that a lot of like distractive behaviors, avoidance love distraction. They really do. And, you know, there's there's a few different types of regulation and auto-regulation is the distraction. I feel bad. I'm going to go watch a movie or mm-hmm. I feel bad. I'm going to blow some steam and go exercise and like not think about anything anymore, you know, or I feel bad. I'm going to have a glass of wine. If you run insecure, chances are you're really good at that. If you run more anxious, you're also going to be good at that co-regulating piece, mm-hmm. right? Now, the the avoidant is going to be doing the self-regulating in the sense of it's not actual self-regulating. Their head is going to be saying, I need to be alone in order to kind of gain control of my experience. And really what they're doing is they are regulating. They're doing that to feel okay so that then they can re-enter, right? And what you really need to do if you run avoidant is I would say, right, you got to focus on exploring what's beneath the feeling, right? That will start that. When I say beneath the feeling, I mean beneath the the numbness, the I don't want to deal with this or I forgot, you know, those are the survival responses. We got to look for what's beneath, focus on physical sensations to start to connect to and create the awareness around when it's happening and then lean into co-regulation because you need to strengthen that part of you that says, I can rely on other people when I'm in distress or feeling vulnerable that in essence, my needs will be met. And also I'll be able to show up for others too. Even when they say, hey, you did something that hurt my feelings, to be able to communicate around that and allow it to bring somebody closer to you, right? Like that's the beauty of interdependent communication in a healthy way, right? You, you're able to, to have a, attachment repair. In that yeah. So it's like strengthening that external part that the, that the anxious attacher has too much of and you have far less of. Yeah. And I really, I mean, just what you were talking, when I was listening to you talk, I was thinking about like, you know, those, how scary it is as somebody who is self-reliant to rely on someone else, right? It can even be as simple as like asking somebody for a ride. If you need a ride somewhere, it's like, no, no, I can do it myself or I'll just call an Uber or whatever. I mean, it's, it's just like really getting in touch with those feelings of fear because I feel like there's so much fear that's navigating or that's driving the show for avoidance because it's like no don't want to deal with that and it's not about like oh this is uncomfortable and a lot of times those uncomfortable feelings are based in fear. Avoidance can also you know kind of use I notice like literature or art as a way to kind of rationalize things. I don't mean to connect to your feelings. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, oh, I learned to see the world through these this kind of lens. When we're when you say things like that, an avoidant type will see it with the mind, but they're not necessarily able to connect to the feeling around oh, it. Oh, it's so a lot sense. of intellectualizing. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's a, a little mm-hmm. symptom. Or Another one I was thinking of that's like more subtle is I love this like little dismissive behavior is like 
if if you're dealing with the avoidant and, and you have a feeling and you're upset, the avoidant will say, oh, you know, cheer up, put a, put a smile on your face. Why so down? Look on the bright side, right? That's a subtle dismissive response. And know that if someone is acting in that way, that's their own avoidant behavior. Yeah. And the, and, a, and the negative spin on that is when somebody tells you to just get over it, right? They It's, it's like, not only do they intellectualize their own experience, but they tend to minimize other others' experience as well as their own. Like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Oh, don't worry about me. Like every, it seems like so. There's so much minimization. Yes, minimizing, minimization. Yeah, minimizing around like other people's experiences and their own experiences. That's absolutely correct. And think again about that lone wolf, right? What are they doing? They're just like, well, mm-hmm. I'm over here surviving on my own. That's what works for me. I got it. All good. I'm wondering if that's why I identify so deeply with the wolf. Say, say more. I mean, I just really love wolf. This is my spirit animal. I knew I connected to it for some reason. I mean, I just think that they're just like so noble and so beautiful, but that's all I have to say about the wolf. But yeah, the lone wolf. Yeah, I can get it, right? Just, I just get to kind of like stop the plane by myself. I don't need anyone. And works I can for, do that it works and do for it me. Well. That works for me. And I can look like a badass doing it right. as well. And, and you know, the one thing I want to talk about as, as we move towards secure attachment is we don't want to get rid of where these behaviors really make us thrive in life, right? The, there might be situations in work where you're running avoidant that really serve you. Okay, maybe you don't want to get rid of some of that. You want to look at where it's hurting you, right? So avoidance oftentimes, like, I feel nothing, I feel nothing. Now I'm going to blow up at you and shut it down, right? Right? Like they could just come out of left field, as, as so it appears, and just say no. And that's because they're doing such a good job of pushing down the feeling. But then you're missing that like deeply filling connection you could have it's very rewarding to feel a no in your heart that other people truly will show up for you and that you can have that asking for help so yeah. being able to change your own tire is a good thing and also knowing ask for help now <laughs> i wanted to i love that example you said before of like a real quick tip is asking you know instead of saying oh i can take an uber asking a friend to you know take you somewhere or whatever it is now if the friend says no, or the partner says no, the avoidant might say as a defense, see, this is why I don't ask people for anything because, you know, or maybe they do it inefficiently. Maybe the person shows up late or whatever it is. The avoidant says, you know what? I'm just better doing things on my own. Okay. That is living in the avoidance, not yeah. actually dealing with what's beneath it. We want to deal with the part of you that says, wow, this felt really disappointing. I asked for help and that was really hard for me. And yeah, the person didn't show up. What is that experience like for me? Mm-hmm. And then I would challenge you to talk about your feelings in the I statement. I I felt disappointed. That was really hard for me. And being curious, it's so important to keep it curious as you explore any kind of disappointments with that other person because the avoidant is going to want to shut down and say their way's right, just as the anxious type wants to do. They just don't want to shut down. They want to keep going, keep hammering it until they get the point right, right? is to be really curious about the other person's experience to see, is there something there that allows you guys to connect? Well, I think also, I mean, 
And this leads me to thinking about a really great tip, and that is to lean into that experience of asking for help. Because it does feel really uncomfortable, not only leaning into the experience of asking for help, but like when things do feel uncomfortable, you know, what would it be like just to stick around a little bit longer and see what happens? I was working with somebody who I challenged this person to do that. And it really was a reparative experience for that person. Normally they would have just left and they decided to stick around and then it ended up having a really lovely with their friend. So oh, yeah, nice. I know it was, it was, it, it was like, yes. And, and, and that's the thing. It's like, these are small shifts. So we're not just saying like, oh, change everything. It's like, wow, what happens if you do that small shift? Notice what that feels like. And doing that again, we were talking about like, you know, building those new neural pathways. It's like, oh, I could do that last time. I could stick around last time to see what happened. Maybe I can do it again. Right. And it's just, you just keep building on it. I love that. I actually recommend doing this when you're on the low scale of yeah. being triggered, a three out of 10 being the highest trigger. You want to start on the lower scale because you will be in less distress. The higher distress we are in, the more that our brain is in a state of rigidity and we're actually unable to take in new information, right? right? So you want to build that tolerance of the ability to handle the distress so that your brain will have enough flexibility at that point to allow in a new solution, right? And that happens over training over time, right? And, and I love the example that you gave, Mary, because you talked about in like those little doses. And I always compare this stuff to being an athlete. Any of you guys out there who've done a sport or any activity, right? Like you do it, it comes sometimes the tiniest little tweak. All of a sudden it's like you're playing tennis. If you just move your wrist a little to the left or the right as you're, you're throwing your backhand, it's like, oh, the, the hit just changed, right? That tiny little bit of a tweak can really shift so many things. And how do you have that become innate? You have to keep practicing and practicing and you have good days and you have horrible shitty days that you just want to give up and you just keep doing it. Yeah, I love how you said, you know, start on start off with something that just feels like a two or a three, because what we're really doing is we're like encouraging building that window of tolerance. So we're not going to you know, we're not going to just all of a sudden, like, you know, blast open the ceiling, right, and go to the moon. It's like we're just like slowly building that window of tolerance. So, you know, one day you're like here and you're like, oh, my God, I never thought that I could tolerate so much and be in the moment and also like really recognize what's going on in me, like my feelings, being able to recognize them, process them as they're happening and being like, okay, I'm okay here. I feel safe here. Yeah. So I think it's really important. Yes, of course, we want to start small. We don't want to start big. Starting big could potentially re-traumatize you. you yeah. Know, it's always looking at when can I step in, press on the gas pedal a little mm -hmm. more and when yeah. I need to ease off that I'm actually feeling that overwhelm, need to take a break, right? And you know, back to that, using that distraction as like a coping mechanism. It's not that we never want to distract. We just have to balance out the other side. So for the avoidant is we need to strengthen that part of us that needs to be in co-regulation, which means if, if, I'm, if I'm running avoidant, I'm going to talk to Mary about my experience. You know, this is another tip as you're dating is I'm just going to, you know, call Mary after my date and I'm going to you know, tell Mary at first because I run avoiding, I'm going to say the date was fine. Everything was totally fine. And Mary might challenge me to 
you know, explore a little bit of what, you know, was this part good or not good or just, you know, to, to so that I'm able to have a like a little bit more of a nuanced understanding of my experience as well as I'm just going to. And leave. expand it. Yeah. Right. And you're expanding your experience and all of the feelings around the experience. And then it's back to that tip that Mary mentioned around hanging in there when it's uncomfortable. That does not mean that particular experience is right for you, but you are building your capacity to keep exploring as it's uncomfortable. How can this person in this moment meet my needs? Or what am I feeling even if I feel nothing at all? If I want to walk away, can I stay for just a few minutes more? Can I share that I really want to walk away, but I'm here staying and I'm trying and I don't know what to do? And I think also... And if you do want to walk away, I really just rec recommend like maybe not completely leaving the scene, but like giving yourself like five or 10 minutes, maybe going to the bathroom, spl splashing cold water on your face, like learn, you know, do some of those like regulation skills. Like we talk about like cold water, because that's easy to do if you're in somebody else's house. Take a few minutes in the bathroom alone, like. Maybe, you know, if you just need to scroll through social media just to like downregulate and then come back out, right? So so allow yourself a time out and give yourself five minutes and then come back out and see how you're feeling. And communicating that with the partner, mm -hmm. that's going to be part of the work there, not just not leaving the scene, but saying, hey, I'm still with you. I'm going to go to the bathroom. I'll be right back. Or I'm going to take a walk around the block and I'll be right back so that the anxious type knows what's happening. And the anxious type needs to honor your space. Right. But you have to communicate and give boundaries and tethering that the anxious type knows what to do. Right. Yes. There has to be like a time limit on it. It can be like five minutes or 10 minutes or I'll speak to you about this in an hour. Yeah. So that the anxious type can be like, okay. And you if you're something to hold on to. Right. Exactly. <laughs> they have a little bit of that predictability. Yeah. Right. Their work will also be to tolerate the discomfort within that space. Right. Your work is to provide some sense of tethering and to lean into them a little so that you create that sense of trust. And I just want to give like one more tip for those of you who are running avoiding, who are single, because I know you're loving being single. I probably don't feel the need to do too much about it. Maybe find a partner, as Mary spoke of, just, you know, someone to spend time with. And when it becomes difficult, you want to. <laughs> is I encourage you to start exploring the discomfort or the ambivalence of like just noting as you're meeting new people, what you're, if you're feeling that ambivalence or, you know, can you hang in there a few more days? Can you keep exploring, you know, and ask them how they handled COVID? If they the really COVID. Struggled, how they handled the COVID. If they really struggled, you might notice that person might be a little more anxious in certain ways. And what does that trigger in you? Does that make you feel compassion for them? Or does it make you feel like, what is, is this person going to be needy? That right mm. there shows that your system's in a little distress. This person might need something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I know that just in my own practice, I do talk to a lot of avoidance and, you know, one of the things that they say is, oh, you know, I just want somebody who's as independent as I am. Right. And so that's why I love how you talk about that interdependence, because it's like we can be independent in our relationships. And we also need to cultivate that interdependence as well. Yeah. Interdependence has each, each person has a sense of identity and independence while coming together. It's like the crossover. And, 
you know, for those of you who run avoidant, who are, who do identify as the lone wolf, I just offer you some compassion. That's me. I'm the lone wolf. You know, I have some of that too, actually. I actually, you know, I can dominate with the anxiety, but I, I actually, you know, I grew up with a fair amount of disorganization, which we will get to next time. But there is compassion for the lone wolf who said, I really have to do it all alone. You don't anymore. And that's going to be a wonderful opening. And it's going to happen with time. The work, the progress is in baby steps, little turtle baby steps. So speaking so- about babies, I think the one thing that we did miss that I do want to touch on before we sign off is... We did talk about like neurobiology of the anxious style. I think we also need to talk about like, this isn't something that's like, oh, I'm avoidant. What's wrong with me? Or I don't care. I don't care about anybody. I mean, this is something that was most likely developed in childhood. And so if you had a caregiver who was neglectful, you know, you really became a child who was able to take care of themselves on their own. So if you grew up in that kind of environment, I think some of the messaging that children get is like, wow, look how self-sufficient you are. Look how you can do that on your own. You're so mature for your age. You could have parents also who show up so well for your physical needs. Right. But that lack of emotional attunement is where that avoidant comes in and says, in essence, it's not conscious, but oh, I I better just take care of myself because emotionally... Because those those needs aren't going to be met here, right? So there's always, the root is from somewhere. And the more that we're able to lean into that part that Mary and I, I know are very passionate about parts work, like dealing with that, the, mm-hmm. the inner child, and, as well as the inner 13-year-old. <laughs> all the, the inner, inner children. Inner, you know, they all exist yeah. within us, right? None of us can get away with that. You you lone wolves hear that. You cannot get away all the, the ages, inner child. <laughs> all the ages. So I wanted to go back to what you were talking about with, children and how you said parents can be physically there, right? Making lunches, showing up to games, et cetera, et cetera, but they're not emotionally there. And so let's talk about how that can work with somebody who has an avoidant attachment style, because I think that's really important. You know, Patrick Carnes, to me, he did a lot of work around attachment style. And there's something in one of his books that it comes up right now, which is you could be the family where you're like ships passing in the night. So everyone's there but you're just ships passing. You're not mm-hmm. actually having the connection. And you had also mentioned how, oh, I, ha- I had a happy childhood, which is actually, I remember learning this, that is one of the, the key factors for myself as a professional, clocking avoidance of somebody who says, I had a happy childhood, everything was fine. Because guess what? The, the generalization around that without specificities is probably not an accurate viewpoint. If you can't come up with real practical, like specific examples of what that looked like, the generalization is what avoidance tend to do. Because we all know childhood is a mixed bag. You could have an overall happy childhood and stuff happens to all of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why I like to ask people like, you know, when you think back on your childhood and you just and connect to your body, like what is your felt sense of your childhood? Right. And then sometimes memories will come up that don't feel so happy. And so that I think I think that's like a really good way to organize like what exactly was going on in the childhood. But I love how you were talking about like how saying a happy childhood is such an overgeneralization because there are moments in our childhood that weren't so happy. And so how would you describe a childhood that was like generally fine, but like and also 
you know, there was some stuff that that felt very like chaotic or disruptive. You know, when when clients don't bring up like, oh, your parents were divorced when you were eight. Like, how does that work with a happy childhood? And so, again, like not bringing up some of those things is a sign of avoidance. And we have to remember that it doesn't mean just because you no. say, oh, my parents divorced when I was eight. Oh, I'm having I had feelings around that or there might be some stuff there. That doesn't mean you didn't have a happy childhood. Right. What we're looking for is those kind of like broad term generalizations. And like another good marker is if you're dating someone and you're running more anxious, if you're finding yourself needing to ask question after question after question, that's <laughs> clocking the fact that you might be experiencing someone who's running avoidant and your dysregulation is trying to pull something out of them, right? So you're already in that anxious avoidant dynamic. And so the way to handle that is lean back a little mm -hmm. and phrase things in a statement point of view. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. it could be as simple as, oh, I noticed you seem a little quiet right now and just not, is everything okay? But just, you seem a little quiet right now. Oof, as an avoidant, I'm like, don't tell it's, me that. It's hitting me. Yeah, don't tell me that. That's like hitting home right now. <laughs> but we'll get into more of that later. So for our next episode, we're going to talk about, I guess it's our favorite attachment style. Our favorite attachment style, disorganized. The also known as. Disorganized attachment, the push-pull. It's the anxious and the avoidant in one. And therapists in, in the community, they used to say. It's like oh, the, the, cir the circus of attachment style. Circus and that's such or the shit show of attachment styles. I have two really good spirit I'm excited. I'll I'm excited to hear out. about them. But but it used to be known in the therapy community as like, oh, the the that that's so extreme. Very few people have that. And actually, Mary, I think you and I are both on the same page of actually it's quite common. And again, we have to remember it's on a spectrum. We're all on a spectrum, people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. that many of us do, right? Yeah disorganize yeah. that push-pull. And again, going back to that spectrum, going back to the push-pull. So we can be disorganized leading with avoidance or disorganized leading with anxious. And again, we may feel, just like you were saying, on a spectrum. Sometimes we might feel a little disorganized about what's going on. Does it mean we have disorganized attachment? No. But again, the spectrum, we can lead with avoidance. So thanks so much, Jacqueline, for coming on and DM or reach out to me with questions, collaborations, anything else, anything else about attachment style or anything mental health. You can visit me on my Instagram, DM me at Mary B Therapy, or check out my website, marybtherapy.com. And thanks for listening.